You're listening to WNHH 103.5 FM Community Radio. This is A Table Underground, and I'm your host, Tegan Engel. We're digging into inspiring stories of food, radical love, and creative social justice. When the weather shifts to freezing, I look for any excuse to turn on the stove and create a little warmth in the kitchen. A pot of soup simmering on the stove not only steams up the house, it fills it with delicious smells and provides my family and neighbors with an easy, shareable meal. There's something special about soup, which spans across cultures and communities. It can create a feeling of intimacy and connection. Today's guests are here to share their thoughts on soup as sustenance, as well as a way of bringing people together. Eric Ray of Sopa New Haven joins us to speak about how soup fostered a connection between him and his brother as entrepreneurs who want to both nourish folks and spread love. And Sumaya Khan of City Seed and Sanctuary Kitchen talks about their new project working with cooks who arrived in this country as refugees, Soup and Salam, creating community over soup and conversation. Eric and Sumaya, thank you for being here. Thank you. Thank you. So Eric, let's start with you. Can you tell us a little what is SOPA and how did you get it started? Mm, SOPA. So um, so first, I, I should start by uh, correcting you on your pronunciation. Yes. It's actually SOPA. SOPA. <laughs> <laughs> I need an exclamation point. That's it. It's got to have the exclamation right. point. Yeah, that, 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 that makes the whole thing. Um, so soup. Um, so SOPA started uh, actually um, because I took a trip to Peru back in June. And um, if you don't know anything about Peru, it's very high up. Um, it's They call Denver the Mile High City. So um, the place where I was staying uh, in Cusco, Peru, is two Denvers up, mm. uh, very high. And the altitude uh, had a really, really harsh impact on me. Uh, and so the first meal that I felt full from and and felt uh, satiated by uh, and didn't get nauseous and didn't feel sick afterwards uh, was soup. And uh, in addition to a bunch of other inspiring things that happened on that trip, uh, coming home, uh, I brought this idea back to my brother who um, him and I have been kicking around business ideas uh, since forever, it feels like, um, and had never landed on a thing that that we both could agree on that we wanted to do and so this um, this was a, a thing where we both said yeah this this is the thing let's let's do it and so, so what is sopa what's what's the idea yeah so sopa is a um, is a soup business um, we do not have a brick and mortar we do everything online uh, we cook in small batches we send um, emails out to uh, to an email list and let folks know what soup we're cooking for the week. Um, and then we deliver right to your door. Um, so we typically, we cook on Sundays uh, and deliver on Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the reason for that is actually a very specific one uh, because we all know that soup is better the next day. Mm-hmm. That's one of the magical things about soup is that it's one of those leftovers. That's like you want to have it the day after it was made. Uh, and so uh, so we're intentional about about doing that. Yeah. And can you describe some of the soups that you make? Like, yeah. What are some of your favorites? Sure. Uh, so right now we're working with four varieties of soup. Uh, we'll be adding more as time goes along. Uh, but we have a black bean soup, which is vegan and hearty and delicious. Uh, we have a classic chicken and rice soup. Um, we make a sancocho, which is a, a Caribbean root stew, which is uh, smoky and starchy and also very hearty and wonderful. Uh, and then we make a, a coconut curry with kale and cabbage, which is another uh, vegan offering, um, although there is an option to get sausage in that if you mm-hmm. if you are so inclined. Um, and that one uh, has got some ginger and lots of curry, and it's uh, it's got just the right amount of spice to it, and um, you know, great with the uh, with the kale and cabbage that that gives you your little cruciferous party in there. Yeah. So uh, so it's good. Were you inspired by foods that your family eats in, with some of these foods or some yeah. of the soups? Yeah, for sure. I mean, the the sancocho is a, is a direct link to to sort of a cultural heritage. My my background is uh, my, my mom is Puerto Rican and and grew up uh, in that uh, kind of household with rice and beans and bedneeds and and 
soup. Mm-hmm. That was a, sort of a staple uh, in our house. And so, uh, yeah, so a lot of that is, um, a lot of the idea for soup generally is certainly culturally informed. And I think um, our um, seasoning palate speaks to that. You know, mm-hmm. we, use, we use some sasong in our soups. We, we use some sofrito in our soups. Um, and, uh, and a lot of love. Yeah. Is that your association with soup from growing up? Just yeah. flavor and love? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think so. Yeah, for sure. I, I think it's, um, it's, I don't know. There's something really, um, um, warm about soup. I mean, aside from the fact that the soup itself is actually warming, you eat it yeah. and you actually feel warm, but there's, there's, um, there's this way I think in which like, Soup happens or soup happened most often when um, we were like at our most vulnerable. So like feeling sick or, um, you know, some some kind of thing happened. You didn't you know, you didn't get the, the thing that you wanted or was soup. Soup just seemed to have this kind of very healing mm-hmm. um, property to it. And um, and we I think both of us had a had a similar experience with that. And. And we're definitely bringing that forward um, with SOPA. And we want to uh, be nourishing, but but there's a way in which we also want to be able to foster healing and connection and, and love. Mm. What is the, the healing and connection that you're trying – like what's the healing that you're trying to foster? Mm. Well, you know, I think looking around and, and thinking about what's happening in the world today, um, there's, there's no – uh, absence of the need for folks to, to kind of come together um, and be able to connect with one another, connect with themselves um, in, in very real ways. And so um, I do look at soup as as a way to do that. There's, there's something interesting that happens with a pot of soup that I think doesn't happen with many other kinds of foods, which is that whether you're sharing it with somebody else or just having soup on your own, it still feels like an act of self-care. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and I, I think that's unique to soup. I don't think you could make like a big pot of rice and eat rice and call that and feel like that's self-care. I think there's something different about soup. And I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure exactly what that is, um, but I know that I feel that uh, mm-hmm. even for myself when I'm when I'm making soup, uh, if even if it's just for myself, mm-hmm. uh, which never happens, but but if it did, <laughs> um, you know, I, I think I would feel just as cared for uh, by myself uh, as I would, um, you know, giving it to a room full of people. Yeah. Well, it's interesting you said that it um, that you don't think you'd ever make a pot of soup just for yourself. Yeah. And I think that in some ways that's a piece of what makes soup so special is that. We don't generally. It's not something you usually make for one person. Yeah, it's usually for lots of people. Yeah, and yeah, so. family, friends, neighbors. Yeah, um, all of that. It soup, soup absolutely wants to be shared for sure. Yeah, yeah. well, it's a, a perfect segue into talking to Sumaya here about Sanctuary Kitchen and about the soup and salam um, activities that you're going to start. But can you can you start by telling people what Sanctuary Kitchen is? Sure. Sanctuary Kitchen was is a program of City Seeds that was started in 2017 um, as a way to celebrate and promote the cultures and stories of refugees and immigrants in the greater New Haven area, um, as well as um, providing a source of income for these individuals who face a lot of barriers as they resettle into a new, a new city and a new life. Um, and so we we try to fulfill these goals through a couple um, different means. Um, one is we have ongoing events like s- supper clubs, cooking classes, and special culinary events around um, around the city with partnering organizations and businesses where uh, our refugee and immigrant chefs um, lead them. And um, we also recently started a catering program where we've been able to employ a refugee woman to cater their cuisines through Sanctuary Kitchen. Um, and um, we provide um, entre- entrepreneurship opportunities um, and training for individuals who are interested in starting a food business. So supper clubs is something that we've been doing for quite some time, and this is where individuals gather together, usually in a host home, 
and one of the sanctuary kitchen chefs will prepare the dinner and then join the guests together to eat the -hmm. food that she prepared and have conversations and um, share her story. And, um, And we've been doing that pretty regularly. And you know, they take a lot of resources and a lot of time to put together and loca- finding a location is sometimes a challenge. And so we thought, why don't we do try to do something simpler um, that we can host at our City Seed Kitchen on a smaller scale and have it more regular. And with winter coming and the idea of soup and actually SOPA, when you apply to the Food Business Accelerator program, your application really inspired a lot of kind of the concept between soup and salam. Um, as a way to come together um, like we do in our supper clubs um, over food and conversation on a, on a simpler, more casual um, atmosphere. Mm-hmm. And so for Soup and Salam, you're going to have one chef featured each, is it each month? Yes. So then, we're just trying it out for the winter okay. months um, since soup is usually associated with co- you know cooler temperatures. Um, so yeah, the idea is that we'll have one um, chef uh, sharing a soup from her cuisine and her culture, um, along with a lot of the chefs also make some type of bread and salad to accompany um, the soup. And yeah, just come together, enjoy the food, and get to know each other, really. Mm. And you've called it um, Soup and Salam, Creating Community Over Soup and communi- and Conversation. And what is sort of the community-building piece of it that you're hoping to create um, kind of like Eric mentioned, you know, when you um, come to co- come together over a meal, it's it's just an easy, comforting atmosphere to get to know each other. Even if you're coming from different backgrounds, you speak different languages, um, it just really facilitates that community building, the conversation because you can talk about what you're eating, where and that you find that there's a lot of shared um, uh, or commonalities despite mm-hmm. the differences. And it could be like every culture has a traditional soup that is eaten uh, during winter months or before the main um, entree or um, during special holidays. There's there's always that commonality and that when you're eating those foods, it comes out and it's easy um, to come together around a table over food, and a lot of those barriers kind of naturally fall away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's such a special thing about food. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, th- along with that, I think you know the, the the commonality. One of the commonalities, anyway, is that we all have to eat, right? And and I I also am aware that that, that there is. Um, a soup for everyone, right? There's there's such a wide variety of things that you can do um, with soup that it it makes it, I think, really broadly accessible. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so I think that's special and and somewhat unique to soup as well. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's inexpensive. It doesn't require yes, you know, necessarily any fancy ingredients. Um, and then also when you're Preparing the pot of soup, I mean, just the smell and the warmth that it creates in the kitchen and the space really is inviting and welcoming. Yeah. Um, And logistically, it can be prepared in advance. So it's not like a last minute, you know, having to sear something, like plate it up. It's like it can, it's like everyone's late. It can wait for an hour. It's not a problem. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. It's also um, most times, in the vast majority of times, one pot. Mm-hmm. Which is nice. <laughs> way yes. less clean up, way less to uh, to manage. Right. Yeah. yeah. Can you share some of the things you've observed? Because with um, Sanctuary Kitchen and I think with the supper clubs, you're both trying to create environments for people who are recent immigrants or refugees to this country to have interaction with people who've lived here a long time mm-hmm. and kind of... Uh, just have social interaction or, or learn things or, or become comfortable or break down barriers. And then for people who have lived in this country a long time to meet in person, develop personal relationships with immigrants and refugees. Um, so it's not just like, what is the headline in the newspaper, but who is this person and what is the reality of who they are in their lives? Can you share some things that you've observed around the impacts that that these events and experiences have had either on the people who are who've come as refugees or the people who are residents here who've who've met people who are refugees and recent immigrants 
Right. So definitely the the benefits are mutual. For it's um, there's benefits to the chefs who participate where they're able to um, share their their cuisine and their culture and um, their stories. Um, you know, many of whom they're you know they're extremely proud and um, they're amazing chefs and cooks and. Um, and you see that when they're, sh- and almost every culture I feel has a very distinct um, characteristic of, of hosting people and mm. feeding, um, feeding others, um, and as a way of, you know, sharing themselves and showing love. Um, and almost all the chefs really embrace that concept. Um, and then there's, you know, the opportunities of, you know, practicing their English, um, developing professional skills. Um, getting professional culinary skills um, and uh, networking with the guests who you know attend the events, um, and then of course there's the um, income opportunities that they um, all benefit from. And from the other perspective, as the guest attending an event, um, like you said, they're getting the story of um, maybe a political story from kind of the source rather than hearing it from the from the news um getting a very like just specific personal experience of what is happening in syria or in iraq or in the congo um by people who've actually lived it and experienced it and witnessed what Mm -hmm. what's happening um and and also it's uh it's putting a personal story to the other um, that you might hear about in divisive politics um, that's very apparent right now. And when you sit in front of a person and share a meal, you find out that, you know, we're not that different. We both have the desire to live in a safe place. We want to provide for our children. Um, we value education. We just, you know, want to live peacefully and have a normal life. Um, and so we're not that different. And a lot of the guests, I find that when they come to a Sanctuary Kitchen event, um, they can see kind of the impact that they can have as an individual. Um, I mean, you can easily, you know, donate money to, you know, there's so many amazing organizations that work with immigrants or um, you know, provide humanitarian relief um, in war-torn countries. Um, but, you know, you you know stick a check in the mail and then you kind of don't think about it. Um, but when you have that personal connection and you say, oh, well, I know somebody who can help you find an apartment or can help your child um, get into a certain school or, you know, provide college counseling or something like that. I mean, that's really tangible difference that, you know, um, that can be made and the impact is, is, you know, tenfold. Um, mm-hmm. and you can't, you can't really replace that, for, you know, if you're just, you know, donating online or, um, I don't know, yeah. just like yeah. sending an email or something. I think expanding the circles for people of, of their interactions and who their community is, is so important, both for people who are recent right. immigrants, but also, like if you live in a really impoverished neighborhood, you often also have really limited circles of interaction, right? right? And so like for just kind of helping people thrive in life, like, I mean, even people who live in wealthy neighborhoods right. often only have certain circles, right? And so like so much of, of community building is that, you know, creating that vibrancy where people do start to have circles that overlap and that get them out of their bubble, but like right. into different communities and how important that is for right. And, you know, a lot of the relationships continue after the event is over, you know, um, whether they have other meals together later on or they meet for other purposes. Um, it's it's pretty amazing to see. Mm. Um, you just, um, those relationships are really special and um, and it really doesn't take that much effort. It's, you know, that's, that's the surprising thing. Mm. You know, it's not being forced. Yeah. Yeah. Eric, I know when I first heard you talk about SOPA, um, you also were really motivated by this idea of bringing people together around food. Um, And you're starting with like the subscription piece Mm -hmm. of it. But are you thinking still about doing um, some things where you're kind of gathering people 
together? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Actually, um, so so one of the ways that we'll be doing that is is through our tasting events, um, and uh, hopefully we can have them be uh, have them be sort of like a pop up kind of thing where we can actually go to various neighborhoods um, and do. Uh, do events in those neighborhoods um, specifically to bring kind of a, a group of, of people together mm-hmm. um, for the purpose of tasting the soup, but also uh, to be able to connect uh, with each other and and talk and and you know be be together. Um, so yeah, so that is that's absolutely a part of of what we'll be doing. Um, and actually, we have our first one. I think it's the first or second week of February. Mm-hmm. Um, it's right, and maybe it's like the eighth or the ninth. I don't remember the date right now. But, okay. um, but yeah, we'll be having one, and uh, I'll be hosting it uh, right at in my apartment. Uh, so <laughs> we'll have folks uh, over and 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 tasting soup. Nice. Yeah. Nice. So, are you and your brother cooking the soup? All the soup? We are. And uh, I'm curious about your sancocho. Like, mm. what? I know you probably have some secrets, but can you explain <laughs> a little bit? I've actually never had sanco- sancocho before. Oh, um, okay. So, can you explain a little? How do you make it? What's in it? Yeah, I, mean, I know what it is, but but tell it. Like, get us get our mouths watering. Sure, a little. <laughs> sure. So it's got. Um, so my favorite element, personally, I don't. It's probably not everyone's, but. Um, it's got uh, this like slightly smoky uh, kind of flavor to it. Mm-hmm. Um, we use uh, traditionally, I think um, uh, there's uh, there's pork necks in it, but we actually use um, turkey, smoked mm-hmm. turkey necks. Um, and I I really really like that flavor um, in anything, but but particularly the the soup, I find it to be uh, surprising and really satisfying, and lends itself to this kind of really um, meaty but starchy um, heartiness that's mm-hmm. that's really really good it's like stick to your bones um, delicious I think um, another sort of distinctive feature of a sancocho is um, and some people I think are a little put off by it but I again I love it um, which is that uh, there's little um, pieces of Corn cob yeah. uh, in it, and and like the the corn is still on the cob, and I think that's some what folks, I think of when I think yeah. of sancocho is like the soup with the chunks of corn cob. In right, it. <laughs> right, and I I think um, you know we've introduced it to maybe an audience that hasn't seen that before, yeah. and and we've gotten some feedback that they weren't really comfortable with that. Mm. Um, but again, I, I love it, and and I that's the way that I ate it growing up, and still today, if you if you go into you know. The, the local uh, bodega or something that's that's how they'll serve it. Yeah. Um, Maybe there, there's like a little education piece to yeah, do there. Like a, <laughs> yeah, you should do a little how to eat sancocho and yeah. like what is the the cultural history of it or something so that you start to educate people about like we're not going to Americanize this soup, right? Like right. this is about actually connecting with our culture and for sure. Dig your fingers in, pick up the yeah, corn, yeah, nibble. Yeah. It's okay. <laughs> like it's it's fine. Like it won't it won't it won't burn you. It's okay. Yeah. And typically actually, um, I save that for the end anyway. It's like mm. it's like the it's like the cherry on top afterwards. You eat the whole nice. soup and I leave the, the little bits of corn cob to the side and then I eat that at the end. Um, you know, as kind nice. of like a, a celebration. Um, <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, so, it, but it's got it's got three different kinds of meat. Uh, so it's uh, so it's meaty. We use uh, beef, uh, chicken, and uh, and then the the, the turkey, um, the turkey neck there. So, uh, and and it's got a bunch of root vegetables which which uh, boil forever in a day. Uh, there's no thickening agent in it. It's just um, you know the the from the from the root vegetables. Mm-hmm. It starts from the root veg- vegetables and and it gets it, it's like stick to your bones. It's mm-hmm. really really good. It's good so, winter soup. Yeah. Yeah. And I've seen that you people are really excited about your curry, coconut milk, kale, yeah. either with or without sausage. But through that social is, media, I've been seeing that. Yeah. People excited. That's by far our, uh, our bestseller um, so far. So uh, it's good. It's, it's, this one is another one. Uh, I think it's got some, some kind of unique flavors for a soup. I don't, I don't often come across like curry soups. Maybe I'm just not going to the right places. But um, I... I don't know. It's it's. I think it's the sort of mix of the ginger and the spice. It doesn't. I know, coconut is like one of the first words in the name of the soup, but it mm-hmm. actually doesn't taste like coconuts. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, coconuts is used as the sort of fat to deliver the the flavor of the of the curry mm-hmm. and the ginger. 
Um, and, um, and it's got like just a s- slight hint of spice to it. Um, and, uh, and the kale and the cabbage work very well together to add a nice depth uh, of flavor. So mm. um, yeah. it made me sort of think of when I've seen it that it was sort of like a Thai curry or coconut milk soup. I didn't know what you had in it, but I saw it was like coconut and ginger. And yeah. So what, where did the recipe come from? It's definitely Thai inspired. Mm-hmm. Um, the recipe came from, well, I, I used to make a, um, a Thai curry um, sauce for my collard greens because mm. cause I'm, I'm just weird that way. <laughs> but, um, but I made that a couple years ago and, and people raved about it and loved it. And I thought, oh, OK, so like greens and Thai curry and maybe that works. Um, nice. And, you know, why not try it uh, as, as a soup? Um, the one thing that people sort of spoke about was like the greens were good, but they wish they had more of the sauce. So I thought, oh, all right, well, I can do that. Uh, and and thus the the coconut curry with kale and cabbage was born. Nice. There's carrots in there, but I figure the alliteration gets a little yeah, <laughs> too much. A little too much. Yeah. <laughs> nice. And I'm curious, like one thing that I've loved about Sanctuary Kitchen and kind of following the work that you're doing is I'm learning so much about regional foods from all these different countries in the Middle East. So from Afghanistan, from Syria, from and then also going into like Central and Eastern Africa and um, and, you know, from times where I've lived in other countries, you realize like one town makes the bread one way, right. another town another way, or like with sofrito, like in this place, you yep. make sofrito like this. And th- and that's something that is so special, I think, about what you're doing is that it's really about each cook and kind of their personal family or cultural way of making something and that people are getting to not just say like, oh, this is the the muhammara or whatever, how it's generalized across the Middle East or something. Right, I mean, we right. talk about like Middle Eastern food in America, but but people are really getting this exposure to really nuanced um, foods from countries that in America we don't often get exposed to in that way. Um, I'm curious if there's like some soups or breads or things that you want to share that, that have surprised you or just that you think have been particularly delicious. It doesn't have to be soup. It could be other dishes as well. Right. I mean, that was a big learning curve for me personally. I thought I knew uh, Middle Eastern food, uh, you know, you know, just from where I grew up and uh, the food I ate. Um, but, I mean, even within Syrian food, there's such a variety depending on what city the, um, the chef is from. And they can have the same, like, concept of a dish, um, you know, depending on what, you know, across Syria, for example. But they might call it something different. Um, and then definitely the ingredients and their preparation can be very, very different. Um, and so, for example, we have for our first soup in Salam um, this month, um, it's a Syrian chef named Faiza. She'll be preparing a, uh, a lentil soup. And I haven't tried hers yet, um, but even within just as, you know, what you would consider a simple lentil soup, uh, each chef has a different way of putting, um, a different way of uh, adding spices and other ingredients. Some put vegetables in it, some don't, some use certain spices and others don't. So um, I think it'll be really nice to experience her uh, lentil soup. And it's it's been, it's sometimes it's a challenge because we'll have, uh, you know, we think we can just do a cooking class with, um, a Syrian chef with a Syrian dish and when we sit down to get the recipes it's totally different than the one we did before so it's not like we can just like repeat the same you know cons- you know same recipes necessarily because um, again it's it's trying trying to stay true to the the chef and not just the food um, or the dish um, and it's really it's really nice because again, it, that the chefs take pride in in their food, and um, they know it's unique to what they've made. Um, uh, what they've made is unique to them, and um, and you can't just standardize it. Um, right. So it becomes, you know, it's kind of like what happened to, you know, Chinese food in America. You know, it's a very like kind of standard. You know, typical. All the flavors are kind of the same, and we're trying to keep. Um, we want to avoid going down that route when we're, um, you know, selling our food and um, with the catering program expanding Mm -hmm. is um, so when somebody orders from the catering program, for example, you 
uh, the goal is to be able to order food from the specific chef and not just the Syrian menu, mm. for example. Mm. Cool. That's really nice. Um, can you share some of the challenges that that happen? Like when you, there, you know, people are coming from like a different cultural context, and then are there some things that have been really challenging in terms of helping chefs figure out a menu, figure out how to um, put an event together? Just because I think some other people might be listening who might be interested <laughs> in doing this, and I think it's helpful to know, like, what what are the some of the challenges? Um, probably the hardest, well, the two hardest thing is one is language. Mm-hmm. Um, um, you know, English is not uh, for most of them. English is not their first language, and the, and they're learning. So we always, you know, try to have an interpreter available, um, and that in itself is a challenge as well to, to schedule somebody. Um, so things do get lost in translation, literally, and um, there can be some confusion um, sometimes. Um, and then, and this is not unique to you know immigrant refugee chefs. I think any experienced um, cook or chef will say they don't really follow a recipe. Yeah, and I definitely uh, <laughs> do not. <laughs> so when we are trying to get a recipe, for example, for like a cooking class where you do need, yeah, we do need to print out a specific recipe for the students. Um, to sit down and get like a measurement, like how much oil are you putting, how much salt, and it's always just like, oh, just a little bit or this much, <laughs> or you know, they pull out a teacup and say, you know, one of these. Um, I know I do. I do a <laughs> trick sometimes where because you know I like sprinkle. I mean, most cooks sprinkle things in, right? right. So, so you're sprinkling in salt, and it's so different than if you start using a, a measuring spoon. You're it's not the same amount. Right. So sometimes I hold a, a plate over the pot when I have to create a recipe and then I'll sprinkle as if I'm sprinkling into the soup, but you're catching it on the plate and then and you then can take it and it. measure it. So it just, nice. uh, it's just that trick because I find when I try to actually say, Oh, that was about a teaspoon of salt mm-hmm. or like half a teaspoon of clove or something. <laughs> you're, you're totally changing what the recipe is if you're not doing it like the way that you would just instinctively right. cook it. But it is definitely a huge challenge to write down a yeah, recipe. Yeah, so we work with them, and they think it's funny, you know, <laughs> like, why do you need to know all such detail? And It's like, Americans need to know. <laughs> um, and, um, and sometimes it's also, you know, uh, it's not just the amount or what the ingredient. It's like a specific brand or... Right. Um, preparation of that ingredient that you need to buy and I've you know more than once have gotten the incorrect ones and Mm. um they've been disappointed (laughs) in my my shopping um I mean we try as much as possible to take the chefs with us when we go shopping um, to facilitate that and make sure we're getting what they're used to and what they want um but doesn't always work out logistically yeah so So are you are you literally standing next to them while they're cooking and trying to measure and write down so for um for our suppers and like cooking classes and things we don't um we get the recipe and then we give a disclaimer at the class say watch what she's doing and take notes (laughs) the recipe is just a guide yeah Yeah, um you'll learn more by uh, by you know listening to what the instructor is sharing um, but for our catering program, we do. Uh, Carol, uh, our new culinary coordinator, uh, does stand next to them and write down things, and has and it has taught them taught them to weigh everything, measure everything, mm. and then we write it down um, because we also have to factor in cost um, and making right. sure that the food does stay consistent um, every time somebody orders that dish mm-hmm. from that person. Yeah, and you've said repeatedly, her are all of the cooks women mostly yeah um, we have we do have a few uh, uh, male cooks but we found that they have an easier time um, finding jobs um, outside um, or they have you know more um, professional experience um, or more formal experience mm-hmm. from back home and a lot of the the women don't and so um, we really work with the women and their schedules. You know, a lot of them are mothers and they have young children. Um, so we really try to facilitate that as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So with both of your projects and programs and businesses, because it's all of those things, do you feel like you're reaching the people who you want to be reaching? Hmm. 
so so we're just we're just getting started, and so I would say um, I think we've had a healthy amount of publicity, but it remains to be seen as to whether we're like impacting lives um, beyond just uh, people enjoying the soup. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're certainly certainly getting really good feedback um, from the taste of the soup, which. I mean, I think feels primary. Uh, if the soup's no good, then why, why are we doing it? Yeah. Um, but I think adding this, you know, it, as we as we sort of get the business piece of it under our belts a little bit, because uh, the other piece of this is like we look at it as two bottom lines. Like, you know, on, on the one hand, we want to be able to bring people together uh, and to be able to foster conversations that are meaningful and impactful and and healing, um, but. On the other hand, it's a business, and we want to make money, and we want to be able to sustain ourselves doing it. So, um, we're focusing on the on the latter right now, um, and um, and then uh, when we feel more confident that we have that under our belt, um, be able to kind of shift our attention to this um, notion that actually we're we're trying to bring people together mm-hmm. and and really create um, a community. Uh, around around SOPA. Yeah. And it sort of connects with the other work that you do yeah. as a, do you call yourself a coach? I am a coach. Yeah. 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 Um, so I do uh, some leadership development and personal development. Um, I take walks in the park. Um, with people. With people. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, it's called uh, Let's Walk About It. And, yeah. um, and so, uh, so, yeah, so I view this as uh, an extension um, of of that and mm-hmm. and really um, the kind of uniting theme um, is that this is just another way to love people. It's another um, expression uh, of love for for both my my brother and I because mm-hmm. um, that's another part of the sort of the backstory of SOPA, which is that that it really represented an opportunity for my brother and I to do something together um, formally. Um, there's 13 years of of uh, of. Age. age difference <laughs> yeah. between us. Um, and so it was a long time before we developed um, a, a close relationship. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and so that required both of us to be very intentional about fostering that relationship. It wasn't, it wasn't just natural, um, particularly when, you know, I was in college and he was four. Right. Um, and so, uh, so, so we're, you know, we're at a place now where um, we have a fantastic relationship. We talk three or four times a day, easily every day. Um, we're emailing back and forth, and trying to sort of figure things out and 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 run a business. Um, mm. And so uh, that has really created um, a strong bond between the two of us. And I think. One of the things that also makes, I would say, both of us proud is it very much feels like um, a gift to my mother, actually, mm-hmm. uh, because I know that that she um, wanted for us to have a close relationship uh, despite the years between us. Mm-hmm. And so um, and so we've been able to do that in our own way, um, organically and naturally. And, and it feels um, and it's great. It's 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 pretty awesome. Yeah, it's great. Is your mom still around? Yeah. Yep. Yep. She's uh, in the same house we grew up in. Yeah. Yep. She's doing great. She's very uh, proud of us, excited for us. Um, She loves the soup. That's um, great. But of course, always has uh, some pointers. (laughs) As she should. right? Yeah. And and I absolutely resonated with this idea of like, well, Ma, how much are you putting in there? And she's like, whatever, this much. You're putting this much. What is that? Like, what is, you know, a pinch. What, what is that? That's not a thing. Yeah. You um, just got to cook with her. And yeah. Just yeah, yeah. Well, that, that, that's ultimately yeah. uh, how all of this started was, yeah. was just kind of me sitting at her feet when she was, when she was cooking and mm. watching and seeing what's going on. Um, I was one of those that if I enjoyed a dish, um, I wanted to learn how to make it. And that's as how a kid? I, as a kid, yeah. Mm. And that's how I learned um, how to cook, which was that like, Maybe that was sort of the fierce independent in me uh, even then, which was that, like, I didn't want to depend on somebody else to make the thing. Like, mm-hmm. if I want it, I'm I'm going to learn how to do it so I can just have it whenever I want it. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah. That's awesome. 
And um, with Sanctuary Kitchen, do you feel like you're having the impact that you want to have or reaching the folks that you want to be reaching? Um, yes and no. I mean, in terms of impact, it's definitely there on both ends. Um, I feel like living in, in New Haven and, and the community here is pretty, um, the people here are very welcoming and, um, you know, have progressive ideas and and are very supportive. And I think part of the success of Sanctuary Kitchen has been the support of the community that we have here, whether it's individuals, organizations, um, you know, our volunteer network has been amazing. Um, but it's a little bit of preaching to the choir um, yeah. in terms of um, learning about, you know, other cultures and um, other individuals. I mean, I think everybody is still benefiting in yeah, that absolutely. sense, but there's definitely people in Connecticut who um, who would benefit from meeting a, you know, a Syrian woman, um, you know, who has a family like them um, or, you know, somebody from um, Iraq and realize that, you know, not everybody from Iraq is from ISIS or something, you know, like right. just, uh, you know, opening up those conversations, um, with people who might not be as familiar or comfortable or, um, just, you know, haven't been exposed, um, to different cultures necessarily. Um, so, you know, we always, in, you know, encourage, um, when, people are hosting a supper club, for example, like, you know, when they're thinking about who they want to invite, like, you know, be purposeful in that. And not to say that, oh, we're only inviting you because you need to be educated. But, you know, there is, again, it's it's broadening everyone's horizons. It's developing those relationships that are going to be meaningful, you know, for both, um, for all who are attending. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you. I'm glad you spoke to that because I think about right out, you know, many of the towns right outside of New Haven, there's clearly like, you know, you see Trump signs everywhere. There, you know, there's just more explicit racism, overt racism that happens. Right. And, and so kind of how to use relationships that people have to bring people in and kind of have ripple effects of, I think one of the challenges of living in really kind of geographically and financially and racially segregated spaces is that when you live in a city, you tend to have more direct interactions with a more diverse range of people. But when you live in a suburban environment or more rural environment, you tend to really mostly interact with people who look like you right. and um, or who have lives that are similar to you. And so, yeah, being right. intentional about who you invite in to have them have other personal, more intimate experiences is, is really helpful. Right. Yeah. And, you know, all this talk about, you know, building the wall and all of that. I mean, we're trying to do the opposite and, you know, breaking down those walls and, you know, creating those relationships, um, you know, there is no benefit in isolating ourselves at all. You know, you're only hurting yourself, really. So, um, well, unfortunately, it's hurting other people, <laughs> too. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah in when I mean, like yourself, like your country, your, yes, <laughs> your yeah, community, yeah. but also yeah. individually. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, you mentioned, both of you, the food accelerator that City Seed and Collab did together. Um, can you really briefly explain what the food accelerator was? Right. Um, so City Seed and Collab have uh, joined together this year to provide um, a training program for individuals who are interested in starting a food business. And um, there's a lot of barriers to starting any type of business, um, especially food whether it's, you know, just education, um, paperwork, uh, cost, um, language, and so forth. And so the goal is to really try to remove some of those barriers to entry um, and, you know, promote economic diversity and development in, in the area. Um, so um, SOPA was one of the ventures that um, is one of the ventures that is participating this uh, in this cohort and um, it's a great group um, we have a very diverse group um, various businesses from food truck ideas to brick and mortar to food products um, to catering and um, it's really exciting it's a lot of, you know we're all learning kind of th the process mm -hmm. and um, it you know it's certainly a challenge I mean even with um, 
the resources that we're offering and, you know, trying to facilitate its, uh, you know, starting a business is always a daunting yeah, challenge. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 How was the experience for you and your brother? Yeah. It's been, uh, I, well, I won't speak for him, but I, but I think generally my experience has been um, that uh, a very positive one um, overall. And, and I think there's, there's very sort of specific things that I personally really enjoy and really have benefited from. So, um, so the opportunity to build relationships uh, with other businesses, so other, other people who are in a similar position uh, as we are, um, being able to talk and share ideas and, and, and kind of, um, and also just, just the sort of um, the other stuff, like, like the, the kind of, um, you know, like emotional ups and downs that it takes as you're kind of navigating through this to be able to kind of share that with somebody who is going through the same thing is, uh, is, is very cool. Um, in addition to that, there's, um, there's a kind of mentoring that happens um, either with, you know, actual current business owners and people who are uh, sort of further down the line of the road that you want to travel. I think that has been tremendously powerful for us. Um, and then, um, and then the, the, wonderful, the wonderful staff who, who are there with smiling faces and encouraging us uh, to continue to, uh, to grow our business. Um, it's really fantastic. And, and, and a, a particular uh, shout out to, uh, to, to Carolyn and Margaret because, um, you know, they, they're kind of – it feels very much like they're right in the trenches with us. You know, we meet with them once a week. Uh, they keep us accountable to the things that, that we, you know, say that we're going to do. Um, and, uh, and they have a way of really um, building uh, a sort of connection with folks that I, I think brings out the, the best in people. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so it's been a really great uh, experience for me. And I think my brother would agree mm-hmm. um, that um, we certainly would not be where we are today without without the accelerator mm-hmm. so uh, so that's been that's been tremendously helpful yeah. Yeah. yeah it's great to hear that I think you know there's so many pieces of of being an entrepreneur there's like the logistical things like where are you gonna cook what are you gonna mm-hmm. cook how much are your ingredients how long does it take how you yeah. all the delivery all that stuff but there's also this thing about entrepreneurship that in the startup part can be really isolating yeah and so I think that Carolyn and Margaret are like incredible cheerleaders and they're also super yeah. practical, right? <laughs> and so yeah. I think that like that is really important and maybe a really undervalued piece of of what entrepreneurship or like incubators do is is create um, community and create accountability, yeah. you know, with other people, not only to yourself. Like most entrepreneurs are only accountable to themselves, right. you know, or a funder or something. But but having someone who's there just to cheer you on and to help you set goals and hold you accountable is a really is a really big deal. Yeah. So yeah, it's scary. I mean, the process itself is scary. It's intimidating. There's there's lots of details that 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 you need to be aware of and small things that make a big difference in in what you're doing. Um, and so having somebody uh, who you know is kind of in your corner. Um, just that notion alone is is quite helpful. Um, mm-hmm. And then, you know, if a problem comes up, I know who to call. I know, I know, you know, sort of where to go, at least to get guidance that I can trust. And I think that that um, is is really worth the price of admission, which was nothing, by the way. Yeah, um, it's a free program. You know, it's a free yeah. program that we applied for and we got in. And uh, and so providing that kind of access um, is is important. And like and my chips are in. Right. Like I don't I, this is what I'm doing. I don't have another job. I don't. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm a coach, uh, but this is it. Like I'm I'm, I'm coaching and I'm and I'm selling soup. That's <laughs> like, this is my life. So. Um, so yeah, so so in one sense it's really ins- exciting and inspiring, and in another sense it's like it's, you know it's really scary. Yeah, you know, I still I still have bills, I still have rent, I still have to figure out how to make this work. Yeah. Um. So um. So yeah. So I I, I don't know that we'd be where we are today uh, without them. So. Yeah. Good. Uh, yeah. So, in terms of selling soup or inviting people <laughs> to eat soup and and build community, can you Eric tell us how to how do people connect if they want to get on your soup subscription list. Yeah. Uh, so the best way uh, is uh, through our website. It's uh, www.sopanewhaven.com. 
Uh, and so uh, you can get right on there. You can put your email address. Uh, a little pop-up comes right up on the screen. You put in your email address. Um, we get it, and you'll get a note saying that uh, you are now on the list. And uh, when the next emails uh, come out, you will get one of those. We, we are really intentional about not uh, like inundating people with a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, so typically we'll send one email a week. So mm-hmm. it's not it's not and that's, crazy. That's for people to order soup. That's for people to order okay. soup. So that email comes out and we say, hey, this week we're featuring uh, actually this week it's the it's the chicken, uh, chicken soup with rice. Mm-hmm. Uh, we garnish with rice. And um, yeah, and, and you put your order in, we let you know we've got your order uh, and um, you know we, we organize with you for, for delivery. All right, and you're delivering right to people's homes or work or wherever. Yeah, they're... home, work, or nice. uh, we've had a couple of people who are not in the immediate area. So we, we're right now at this stage uh, just serving the greater New Haven area. Okay. Uh, but if you're out of town, um, we'll work something out. All I'll right. meet you halfway. We'll figure something <laughs> out. Yeah. Sounds good. Yeah. Excellent. And Sumaya, how should people follow up about Soup and Salam and Sanctuary Kitchen? Um, so the best thing would be to go on the Sanctuary Kitchen website, which is www.sanctuarykitchen.org. Um, you can also sign up for the City Seed newsletter, um, which goes out every week, and we list all our events for those. Um, right now, the January Soup and Salam is sold out. Um, but February was just posted, and that's available, and March and April will be posted soon. Uh, you can also follow Sanctuary Kitchen on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to learn about our events, meet our chefs, and see with the food that we're making. And you can also buy Sanctuary Kitchen products at the Winter Markets, um, hosted by City Seed every Saturday from 10 to 1 in New Haven. And the Winter Market is at the Metropolitan, Metropolitan Business Academy um, on Water Street, on Water Street. The Highway. <laughs> Great. Thank you both so much for joining me today. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Appreciate it. I'm your host, Tegan Engel, and this is The Table Underground. For more information, links, and photos, check out thetableunderground.com. You can listen to past shows on our website or anywhere you get your podcasts, and follow us on social medias to stay in the know. Thanks for listening. This is WNHH 103.5 FM, Community Radio in New Haven, Connecticut.